Welcome to Dev Jams. This is where we talk with developers that are using Cloudinary in their projects, maybe in interesting ways, inspiring ways, or just ways that we've never seen before. And of course, this will help people like you, hopefully that are thinking about their next websites, or next mobile apps, or next software projects, and thinking about ways to help manage and deliver media in some of the ways that our guests are showing in these episodes. My name is Sam Brace. I am the Director of Customer Education here at Cloudinary. And joining me for every Dev Jams episode is Becky Pelz, who is our Curriculum Program Manager for Developer Education at Cloudinary. Becky, nice to have you back. Hey, Sam, it's great to be here. I think this is a really fun episode. I know when I saw this come across, I had to immediately do my own GitHub route. So I can't wait to see what it's going to look like when we talk with Harshal about it. Absolutely. And Harshal, he was working for N8N at the time, and we'll talk more about where he's at later. But when he built this project called GitHub Wrap, it was a way to really show off all the amazing works that as a developer that you're putting into GitHub, but to summarize it into a yearly report. And to really do it in a fun way to show off all the great work that you're doing, all of the repositories you've created, maybe all the pull requests you've done. And we're really inspired by this because one, you see companies that have done similar things like Spotify, where they've created their Spotify wrapped project to show all the different music you've listened to and the artists you've learned about and started listening to more over a course of a year. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's helping you to realize how much you enjoy that product and that person. But in the same way, I think the GitHub Wrap project had a very similar flair to it. And what Harshal has pulled off, is fantastic. And of course, all the media that is associated is done with Cloudinary, which we were very, very excited to see. Yes, and I hadn't ever, I haven't seen N8N used and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Because we're all getting into low code now, even as developers, we are looking at the low code as a good solution. Absolutely. So let's get into it. Let's go and meet Harshal and take a look at his GitHub wrap project. And then stick around at the very end. Me and Becky will give you some key takeaways that we felt were important from this episode for you to be successful as a developer if you decide to take on any of the learnings that are found in this episode. So see you then. Harshal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Harshal, we're excited to talk to you about the project that you developed, GitHub Wrap. We're excited to be able to talk about lots of other things that are associated with the project. But I really want to just get to know you for a little bit here, because I think you're doing some really cool things. Obviously, other people are noticing out in the tech sphere. So tell us a little bit about your role at N8N and what you're doing as a developer advocate there. So I work in the developer relations team at Anitan, where I got to talk about automation and low code and also help the community to get started with that automation journey. I do a lot of things at Anitan, but one of my favorite things is being lazy because it helps me, you know, be more productive, find solutions to things that I kind of don't like and then share it with the community. Yeah, and right. That's a great thing to be able to talk about because one of the things that it happens with automation, right, is you kind of want to automate things that you don't want to have to manually do, things that might feel repetitive, as you're pointing out. If you're saying you're lazy, I don't think you're lazy, by the way. But if things that make you feel like, oh, I don't want to have to do this perpetually, automation is a really good functionality for that. And it seems like a lot of the things that you're focusing on with this program, with this project, it is really tied to automation. So talk to me more about that. Why is that exciting? Why is that something that developers should be caring more and more about? So a lot of times I have noticed we as humans, we don't realize that we are doing a lot of same things again and again and wasting our time on that, which can eventually be done by a machine. But we are like, okay, it's just going to take me a couple of minutes to do it and I'm going to do it. And eventually we end up wasting a lot more time than just a couple of minutes that accumulates all together and we don't realize it. And that's where, you know, I feel automation, not just for developers, but for everyone out there is really helpful. Hey, can I say something here? Because you're not the first good developer I've heard this week say they were lazy. I think this is a good quality. And 
I think it goes hand in hand with automation. You know, we're going to make things so that we don't have to do the same thing over. But the other really key thing is that we're lazy and we're prone to error. And so if you are doing things manually, there's going to be lots of error. Whereas with automation, you can fine tune it and get it so that it's going to work good for everybody every time. And I, I see that in your app too. Exactly. So, yeah. So partial, some, some of the things like, let's just, before we get into the projects, what are just some things that you've automated? I'm interested. Where's this taking you, this automation journey? One of the cool things that I kind of liked that I automated was clearing my inbox. So I have subscribed to a lot of newsletters and <laughs> my inbox was a mess. So I cleared in an automation where, you know, it gets the web view version of those newsletters, added to my notion. And then, you know, just deletes that email. Now my inbox looks a bit good, but my notion reading list is just growing on. <laughs> and I think this is a helpful advice for like anybody that's not like, you know, regardless of VR, email's a problem, right? Like we're always starting with that inbox zero or trying to make sure that it's clean. You're not getting all of the spam, all of the newsletters, all of the things that, you know, that somewhat create clutter. So that's an excellent uh, idea for automation for sure. So... Obviously, also, you're a developer, you're on the developer relations team for a company that you work for. Talk to me also about like your journey as being a developer, because obviously being a developer advocate, you're probably catching people within different points of their journey. Yeah. What's your journey like? So very early in my school days, I got attracted to the technology space and I was like, I want to do something in here. And as and as I got dive deeper into it, I got interested more and more and I started learning on my own. And after I completed my high school, I came across Free Code Camp, which became my source of learning for web development. And I still, you know, whenever someone asks me about, hey, where should I get started? I always suggest you have to just go ahead and or take a courses on the Free Code Camp because they are completely free. But apart from that, it's structured so well. And they also have a really amazing community around the world that is always ready to help you out. So that's how I got started into development. And while I was in university, I tried to dabble around with different technologies. So I did a bit of work in Android, machine learning, and blockchain, just to get an idea of where my interest lies. And that's a quick summary of my developer journey, I guess. So looking at something like that, because I think you've touched on a lot of really interesting points, like Online learning, obviously, that's how you learned. You didn't go to like a formal school. You don't have a computer science degree. Like you did this through free code camp. So what are your recommendations there? Like as somebody that, you know, you're talking to developers all the time, like, is that going to be a place where you find a lot of people are going to? Should they be investing into that? Also, was there any places where you were going for online learning where you're just like, this, this isn't super helpful? <laughs> like any, any advice for our developer community there? Yeah, this one thing to uh, correct over here is I have a formal degree in computer engineering, but I, I believe that, you know, whatever I loved learned in my university, I am not actually using that. What I'm using currently is, you know, everything that I've learned online. So even though I have a degree over there, I still call myself as a self-taught developer because everything I have learned, I believe is from the internet. But coming back to your question, it depends what the people want to learn. If it's, you know, something around web development, I always ask them to get into free code camp because that is the place which I started with and it really helped me a lot. Then the other platform that I used was Code Academy. They also had really good courses around JavaScript, which helped me learn about that. And while I was dabbling with Android and machine learning, I think I, I went through a few courses by Udacity. So that's another platform that you know, people can learn about this. But what I have learned from my experience is you cannot learn anything just by following the tutorials or reading articles. You would have to go ahead and create something on your own. That's when the actual learning happens. Yeah. It is kind of one of the fun things about coding is that you can be go off and do your own project, something that some, nobody's ever done before. And in the process, learn something new and then turn around and teach it. Because exactly. I know that you are a teacher. You you have a many, many avenues for teaching. Do you want to share some of that? Sure. So earlier last year, I think I was playing around with an attendant Twitch. And I was like, huh, I do live streams. I don't want to, you know, go ahead and tweet every time I go live. So I know there is there has to be a possible way to automatically do that. And while I was researching into that, I learned, okay, so 
Twitch has an integration which I can leverage and create an automation workflow. I did that and I wrote about it in, so that other people can use it. And I get feedback from people like, hey, thank you for writing this. It's helping us, you know, with our uh, streaming. And we also want to see how we can extend this. So I kind of experiment on my own, build stuff and then write about it. So that's kind of my process of teaching. So we love problems, huh? Because that's a, good, a way to get a solution. <laughs> exactly. When it also, once again, proving you can automate all the things, right? <laughs> so very good job there. <laughs> Yeah, I told you I'm lazy. <laughs> now, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, because a lot of the things that we're going to be talking around workflows and automations tied to mm -hmm. your projects, it is tied to this concept of no code or low code. And I know that you mentioned that even a little bit earlier. Kind of unpack that for us, because I think this is the first time we've really discussed no code or low code products at all in our mm -hmm. DevJams um, overall program. So Let's introduce that a little bit for our, our audience because it's, it's still kind of an area that I think there's a lot of ambiguity about. There's mm -hmm. some questions about like, is this low code? Is this not low code? So what, do, what are your feelings about it? Sure. I would say that we have been in the low code ecosystem for a while now because WordPress has made it easy. Right? It has taken a lot of abstractions out there. So I think that was the first part, you know, where low code started, but people didn't realize it at that point of time because there was still a lot of coding involved. But if you look at it from just take an overview out of it, it actually abstracted a lot of code from the user endpoint. So the user just had to go ahead, you know, just play around with the blocks in WordPress and then they had a website ready. So that's where I feel, you know, the journey of low code started and low code and no code actually is is the ability where, you know, people get the abstraction of the code so they don't have to go ahead and write the code by themselves. That's basically what no code does, but with low code, it makes it more flexible. So, okay, you don't want to write a code. That's completely fine. Here is the abstraction. You, if you want to write the code, if you want to extend the functionality of the project uh, or the product, you can go ahead and write some code at this particular stage. So that is what is uh, the major difference, I think, between no code and low code. And I have seen developers are now getting more adapted towards low-code technology as well because it provides you an abstraction. It saves you a lot of time of writing that code again and again. Why would you write a code when someone has already done that, right? It does not make sense. And that's what low-code is trying to solve. Yeah, I, I kind of see it like building up to the whole sandbox technology where there's lots of code snippets out there. So if I want to write code, I do not start from scratch. I go Google somebody else doing it grab their stuff, and then I start changing. But now to have it more formalized, you know, and presented as this is this is good, low code, no code, it will be a great starting place. I think it helps everybody. Now, one thing that I wanted to ask you about with that, is so I think there's a misconception that I've definitely seen in the low code, <laughs> no code discussions where, as we're pointing out very clearly with what you've said, what Becky just tacked on, it's where no code and low code tools are used by developers. And I have seen it where like people are saying, well, low code and no code should be used by people that don't know how to code. It's a way for them to use this tool. And I disagree with that. So it sounds like you do as well. Am I right about that, Harshal? Yeah, yeah. I totally disagree with that because we as developers, we are also humans, right? We also want to find solutions that make our lives easier. If it's, you know, a product that is no code or low code, why, why do we discriminate against it if it's making our life easier, right? I feel we should be open and see, you know, if it's working for us, if it's not working, then that's a different thing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I noticed I, that you but, got into the no-code November event. So can you talk about that a little? Like how, what kind of projects and what you did there? Yeah. So the no-code uh, November event was a one-month-long hackathon, which was organized by Typeframe. That type dream is again a no code automation platform to build websites, but they organized this event and Aniton was a participating organization with them. And I really like that event because uh, you got to build a project and not just build a project, but you also had to, you know, share it with the world. So oftentimes at Hackathon, we see people build the project and it stays within the uh, Hackathon community and does not get out. But with that, they had a strict rule. You have to publish it on Twitter or, you know, launch it on Product Hunt, which kind of attracted me to be a part of it. And the other thing is they were offering free credits for certain tools. And I was like, I want to try out these tools. 
I want to try it out. So I might just participate and get those coupons. <laughs> yes. There is nothing like a free tool to get you going. <laughs> I love what you just said, Harshal, because like you're saying, like, it's so easy to get these products up and running. You just have to use product time. I mean, obviously you can get just things out of there. And I'm just, I'm thinking back to like, you know, 20 years ago when we have to spin up Rackspace servers and all this stuff. It's so easy to get projects out nowadays. So I, I'm so excited that, you know, we're at a stage of innovation, which you're obviously a part of, and you're able to get things out and pack up bonds and get things built out so easily. It's great to see where things are ultimately going. So thanks for being a part of all of that and giving people all these ideas on how they can get their projects up and going too. One thing I wanted to ask about is your specific project. So when I saw this being talked about on blogs, when I saw it popping up on Twitter, I was like, oh, this is such a fantastic idea because as a developer, you're developing so many different projects. You're doing so many commits. You're doing so many pull requests over the year. How do you summarize all of that work in a way? And you did that with this GitHub Rack project. I thought it was genius. So <laughs> tell me more about it. Why did you decide to go down the path of building this thing out? Yeah, I'll be honest. It, it wasn't an original idea. This idea was inspired by Spotify Rap. So if you have used Spotify, you might have got those notifications from uh, Spotify at the end of the year. It's like, hey, here is your rap, which summarizes your listening habits. I never have tried out Spotify rap because I believe if I try it out, it is going to influence my listening habit. And, you know, I might be influenced in some way. But I was like, but that is a cool idea, right? I get to summarize what I have done in the year and share it with the people. So I was like, why not take this and do something around the open source? Because being an open source contributor, I always like to talk about open source and encourage people to do that. So I, I went ahead and, you know, tried to look up at a couple of projects and there were already a few of them similar to GitHub Rap. So I was like, huh, do I want to reinvent the wheel? Do I want to create it on my own and do that? But then I was like, these projects are amazing, but they are built with code. Why not go ahead and challenge myself to build it using low code tools and see how that goes. And that's how the project was born. I think it's a great idea when you're a developer, it's important to put on your resume or sometimes share your work. And a lot of, you know, hiring managers look at your GitHub record, you know, how active is this person or whatever, if you're in GitLab. But the thing is, this gives you like an instant summary and it's a link that you can share. And I mean, it just satisfies so many features that help you to share your work. So... Yeah, exactly. One of my colleagues gave me the same feedback. Like he, he really loved the project and we were brainstorming more ideas on what we can do on top of this. And this is the exact same idea that he shared with me. Yeah. I got to tell you, I think you're on a something commercial. Like I'm a Spotify user and I got to tell you, <laughs> Spotify raps influenced my music listening completely. So <laughs> you're on to something here. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm listening too much of that. That's a little embarrassing. So yeah, I, I get that completely. But in the same sense, like, because they do such a great job of summarizing all the content and it's really just, you know, pulling data mm. and compiling it very much like what you're doing with your project. It is where it helps you to reflect and say like, oh, wow, I really did do a lot this year, or maybe I should have done more. So I, I think there's lots of ways this can be used. I think Becky's definitely onto something where being able to provide an instant result for mm. hiring purposes or contract purposes. But I mean, I think the use cases for what you've developed are endless for the overall developer community, especially those that are doing open source contributions like you have been doing. So kudos to you, even before we show people the project, I'm excited to get this thing up and going. So Harshal, do you want to show this thing off? Walk us through it a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm excited to show this. So let's see if I can grab it. All right. Perfect. Yes. So this is the website for uh, low-code-land slash GitHub wrap. This is kind of a very simple UI. And I'm surprised that people really love the UI because it's very simple. And I am not a designer, so for me it was, I was like so happy when, you know, people said to me like, hey, this is something that we love. This is the wonderful UI. I like the simple UI myself, <laughs> to the point. And I think everybody should put that product hunt and tweet on their app. So that's a good idea. I know it was to satisfy your, your experience in the hackathon, but it's a good idea. 
The tweet idea was a bit different and I am going to jump into it, but let me just quickly show over here. So a user, they can enter the GitHub username, click on rapid. Some automation is going to run behind the scenes on any Dan. It is going to generate this wonderful image, which gives you all the stats that you have. So it gives you the number of comments that you created, the number of issues that you created, pull requests, new repos, all that you have done in just one year. Yeah, it's just a really nice, clean summary, and it introduces you to the person visually as well as the work they're doing. So, exactly. I'm just going to talk a bit about the tweet button because that was something interesting and I think might be relevant to what is going on nowadays. So, when I created the idea, I was like, okay, this is wonderful. This is up and running. But how can people share this? Because if people don't get to share this, I might not be able to reach out to a lot of people. So that was an interesting challenge that I, I faced. And I'm talking about this because if you talk about Wordle, the game that is kind of popular right now, right? Yeah. So it has this feature of sharing it on Twitter. And that's how, you know, I think it got a lot of more popularity. And every project out there, if you have that feature where you can share what is being done on that project, I think it can help you get more traction over there. So if I click on tweet, it creates a wonderful tweet and it will generate also get a image. For me, it does not generate an image because I did a lot of testing and in the cache, it still uses the old data that it has, but it will generate a beautiful image with the link so that people can quick, easily go to the link and get it on the website as well. What yeah, I think the big power was that's one of the big powers of what Spotify Wraps did was that they made it super shareable. Like, take that image and you can put it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things. So, like, you're onto something here because I don't necessarily think that sharing off your GitHub pull requests and commits on right. Instagram stories is going to be the best thing to do. But in the same <laughs> set, I, I think what you've done here, having an instant tweet option, you're picking up on the best things about what Spotify did with the Wrap project and making it for this developer purpose. So. Uh, once again, that's fantastic. Really, really smart move on your part. Thank you. I also like your URL, Low Code Land. It's got kind of a, a cool jazz vibe to it. <laughs> so let's walk through the workflow. How do you get this to actually all take place? All right. So there are two workflows that are running behind the scenes. And the first workflow is the workflow that would generate the HTML page that is shown to the user. Now, I am using a webhook node which would listen to this incoming request, process that request, and then output something. Now, the wonderful thing in this webhook node is you can send the response as a binary file, as text, or as JSON. And you can even send an HTML file or just the HTML code, which I didn't knew until last summer when I knew I like, this is amazing. So I can have kind of a whole website running on Anitan. It would be the entry point for that. So basically creating a whole web server with Anitan. So whenever a request comes in, I set some information such as the title, the description, the URL, and the username. And again, the uh, OG URL, that is the open graph URL. Now these are all the information that goes into the tags, which helps you in uh, creating those SEO tags and make this more searchable on the internet. Thing is, we clear. This is your product, the N8N, right? Yes. Yeah. So the automation product so that yeah. you set up logic with your web hooks and the data that's being generated. Yeah. But it seems to, because you can generate HTML, that it's almost like a web server. I mean, it can exactly, exactly. Yeah. So over here, if you see, I have hardly written any code. All the code that I have is just for the HTML pages. And I am using just the core nodes of Anytime here to interact with different services and kind of create the code for my project. Now I am next checking, you know, if the username is present or not, because now the user might want to just go to the landing page of the website. So if they want to go to the landing page, this is the HTML code for that. Now, as I said, I'm just writing the HTML code, but apart from that, all that is, you know, being done by Anitan. 
So I'm using the HTML code over here and then returning back to the user. But if the incoming request contains the username, now we want to do something. We want to get the user's information from someplace. We want to generate that image and then we want to return that image. And this is what the other workflow does. So if there is a username, we run another workflow, which would make a call to that workflow. So over here, this is the workflow that does all the processing. So again, this is a webhook node because it is listening to the incoming request from the previous workflow. We are passing on the username. So in GraphQL node, I am querying the GitHub's GraphQL API to fetch the information, passing on the username that is coming in from the webhook node, getting all the information that we need, like the commits that they made, the repository that they created, the issues that they opened and stuff like that. And then we are passing on this information to the next nodes. I'm not going to go into a lot of details with all these nodes, but what is happening next is we are creating the profile image for the user. So one thing that I kind of ran into an issue was I had the information. Now, how do I create that dynamically? So I tried out a lot of different designs, but none of them satisfied what I was looking for. And then I eventually ended up using Cloudinary. So I am making a call to the Cloudinary and passing all the information that I get from the previous node. So we can see the commits, the pull requests, the issues and everything. And this is using the transformation API of Cloudinary. So this then gives me the template image returned with all this information. But while I was building this, I realized there is one thing that was missing and that was adding the avatar of the user on the profile image. So if I show you over here, now everyone likes to have a picture of themselves on stuff like this, right? It makes it feel more personalized. And I ran into a couple of issues when I was doing this and I was like, huh, I don't want to ship it without adding this particular feature. So what can I do? So I, I've got back to my team and I was like discussing with them, hey, this is the limitation that I've run into. What can I do? And they suggested me of using the edit image node in N10, which is a node that allows you to manipulate images and work with them. So I use the edit image node, which resizes the avatar image, crops them into a circle, and then we append it to the image that is written by Cloudinary. And then this image is finally returned to N10. So that's kind of the whole summary of these workflows. So if I understand you're using Cloudinary to create a text image using the transformations. Yes, exactly. All the text that is coming in, like the issue numbers, the commit numbers and everything is using Cloudinary. Yeah, because once it's in text form, it kind of is easier to just plop it down on a HTML page. That's really exactly. a neat idea rather than sitting around and messing with CSS and stuff. <laughs> yeah. When I noticed that, because like when I was looking at the transformations, you had all of these various overlays that you were doing, and you also had it where you were colorizing it. So like, if I look at that, I can see CO, RGB, that's an RGB value that's here, yeah. using X and Y coordinates to determine where things should be laid out within mm -hmm. the call. And then from there, you're even defining the fonts and font sizes all from there, but it's all being done yep. through cloudinary transformations. It's very slick what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I really loved the transformation dashboard because uh, I was playing around with it and I saw, okay, so they also provide an URL for that. So, you know, I, I took this URL, figured out, you know, what are the dynamic values and just changed those. So it really helped me, you know, not to just waste a lot of time in trying out and digging too much into it on the dashboard, play around with it, get the URL and just use it. What I like what you're showing here, because as you, I'm saying, you're pulling from the JSON to be able to yeah. say, like, ultimately, like the JSON is acting as the variable in this case, like whatever we're getting from a JSON commits line, this is what's going to be published on this part of the card. And I think that's one thing that sometimes cloudinary users get stuck on is they don't think like, what are all the applicability options when it comes to using overlays and text-based overlays, like what you've done? They think it has to be statically written in where you're proving very easily you can pull from something that has lots of variable aspects to it, like a JSON file. So this is excellent work, Harshal. I'm very, very impressed. 
Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you're using the GitHub GraphQL. Can you talk a little about that, how that helps you out? Yeah. So I have the GraphQL uh, Explorer open for GitHub. Now, I'm just going to give a brief introduction about what GraphQL is, because I believe for a lot of people, GraphQL is still very new. Traditionally, if you want to get information from an API, we mainly use the REST API for that particular uh, service. Now, there are a couple of problems with the REST API. First of all, each endpoint returns only some sort of information. So let's just say I want to get the username and the URL. I might have to hit the user endpoint. But if I want to get the information about the commits, I might have to hit the commit endpoint for the REST API. Now, if I wanted, if I took that approach, I would be making a lot of API calls to the GitHub endpoint, right? And I never wanted to do that. It would be just, you know, insane to do that because of all the incoming traffic that I had on my server. What GraphQL helped me do is make one single request. And in that request, I could define what information I need. And GraphQL in that one single request would give me the information. So over here, this is just one single request. And I am asking for the information that I need, like the commit, the user, the Twitter username, their name, that avatar URL, all that is just sent back with just one API call. So for people that use SQL or various querying language, it's kind of like you can make a query out of a combination of APIs. You're not stuck pulling in every API and sorting through all their data and trying to match it up with some other API data. Exactly. Becky, I disagree because that was like the best explanation I ever heard of GraphQL. <laughs> like being able to break that down in that way, like is like ha ha coming from a band-based administration background and some of the things that I've done, like being like, oh yeah, there's a lot of commonality to GraphQL and SQL. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I say a light bulb just went off in my brain when you said that. So if hopefully that happened for one other listener or viewer of this program. So good job, guys. Very, very, very helpful. What did I want to ask you about here? So mm -hmm. I know, or maybe I'm getting a vibe here that Cloudflare is involved with this project in some way. Talk yeah. to me about why you would be using Cloudflare in a project like this. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, they're an amazing um, provider when it comes to CDNs and other things that they do. But how are we involved in this project? Yeah. So one of the main challenges was to hide this particular URL. Like if that is a project that people want to use. They don't want to have such a long URL. And I wanted to find a way to, you know, have a proxy uh, between the main URL that I want to use and my NA10 webhook URL. That's where Cloudflare helped me. The other thing was once I was trying out and testing out the project, I realized that a lot of time people, sometimes they would just add, add the rate symbol as well with their username. So not just Herschel 1 Chain 1 2, but add the rate Herschel 1 Chain 1 2. Now that is not a valid username. So I wanted to also filter that out. I could have done that in NN as well, but it would have added more nodes and I didn't want to do that. So I took a look at Cloudflare and I was like, okay, so with Cloudflare, I can divert the traffic to the URL that I want. And I can also handle such use cases or such edge cases where people, if they are trying to use anything apart from this particular thing, they are going to get this particular page. So that is what was happening with that. So I can also quickly show you the Cloudflare worker code that I am using. So most of this is a boilerplate code that I got from the Cloudflare documentation. So over here, we have a regular expression which checks if someone is uh, using the at the rate symbol. And down below, I set in the handle request function. What is happening is we have a parameter that is none. So if nothing is passed, this parameter is get, gets added to the URL, sent gets back to N10, N10 sees, okay, nothing is passed, and it sends up the landing page to the user. Over here, you can see that we are checking if they have added the iterate symbol or not, and stuff like that. And then we are simply sending all that content that was written from N10 to the user. And also, this is very clean JavaScript code. <laughs> and yeah, it kind of looks like a Lambda function. And so they're letting us put Lambda functions out on the CDN, it looks like. Is that correct? Exactly. I think that's that's kind of a good way to explain Cloudflare workers. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, Sam. It is really clean code. It's very easy to read. <laughs> 
So basically, if you put line 25 and you get a none, it's going to like just send out your N8N will just send out your 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 home page. page. Yeah. Yeah. Just render that HTML. Otherwise, it'll go in and process it and put together what you need to get an actual wrap. So that's really neat. You have many levels in this application, but always very small amount of code. Which is nice. Exactly. Like a page worth. <laughs> and as I said, they already had the code on the documentation page. So all I had to do was make some changes here and there to adapt it to my use case. So it was mainly copying and pasting. And as I recall reading this, you did this all for free. Like every piece of this is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, then it also it points back to what I was saying earlier too. You didn't have to spin up servers. You didn't have to worry about all of that. Like it's where a lot of this seems to have been done because if I know this correctly, you're using actually the free plan of Cloudinary to get this done, which is pretty awesome. You're able to get it done without having to spend a single dime on that aspect, which proves once again, our peers at Cloudinary are hopefully generous with the application of this. But with something like Cloudflare, also that, you can use everything that you were showing with Cloudflare also on their free tier? Yeah, if I'm not wrong, they allow you to have two worker scripts per project for free. And I just needed one worker script to handle this. So still using Cloudflare for free, haven't paid a single dime. Oh gosh, I gotta say, Becky, hopefully you're agreeing with me on this one, but that's pretty amazing. Like the fact that you can spin up such a helpful project not have to spend a dime other than just, you know, your time, obviously partial is worth something, but in the same sense, you didn't have to put actual like monetary dollars, cents, coins to anything. So this is great. I'm really, really inspired by this. And I think the fact that you're using code that has been shared to you by, you know, the companies that produce it, it's sort of tested in that sense. So you don't have to spend a lot of time writing tests and things like that. It's kind of, exactly. here's what yep. works. If you use it, it's going to work for you. Now, one thing I want to ask you, Harsha. So whenever I've done development projects and Becky's on, um, probably you too, there's always a roadblock. There's something that you didn't anticipate. And I know you touched upon some of those things, like when you were saying like, someone using the at symbol inside of their GitHub. Mm-hmm. That's probably not something you were like, oh yeah, I already have a plan for that. It's probably things you, you figured out during the development project and people testing it. But what are some like major roadblocks that you feel like people might face with any of the technology that we've talked about here today and maybe some details on how you overcame it? So one of the major roadblocks that I faced was when the project started getting a lot of traction on Twitter. Few folks from the security community started playing around with it in not a good way. And, and they started tweeting on every, I was like, okay, it's a weekend project. I didn't took security <laughs> measures because I wasn't expecting it to get so much traction. And now you are doing this to me. I don't know what to do. I am not someone who would, you know, who has done a lot of work in the security space. So how do I solve this? That was one of the major roadblocks. And I, I freaked so much. I, I called up my friend who is uh, well-versed in the security space. I'm like, you need to help me out. I don't know what should I do. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he wasn't available. So for 24 hours, I, I was just reading on the internet, trying to find out a solution. And then uh, I came across this solution by Cloudflare, where you can have firewall rules. So you can set up rules without writing anything. So you're just telling Cloudflare, okay, if a request contains maybe this thing in the URL, block it. If a request is coming from this particular IP address, block it. And that saved me from, I think, a lot of other malicious requests that were coming in. Even if today I check the logs, I see a lot of people are trying to attack the website, but because I have those rules in there, it it saves me a lot. So that was one of the most terrifying challenges that I had. (laughs) It's pretty unsettling when people are going after your stuff, even if you are not taking it personally, you know, it, it kind of is like, what are they going to do to me you know? and where will this all end? So it sounds like you were able to create a firewall with Cloudflare and you didn't yeah. have to pay for that either, I bet, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nice. <laughs> but you still had to figure out all of the things that you wanted to block. It sounds like yeah. that took some time to... to yeah, yeah, it did. So 
the process was just going through the logs and understanding what was, you know, the repetitive things that people were doing, what were the IP addresses that were making the same request again and again. And that's kind of how I started doing it. And then I found a pattern and using that pattern, I created a firewall rule that now stops or blocks all those requests. Yeah. Now, one thing that I'm also thinking of, because I've had this also in development projects and also just other projects I've done that have nothing to do with development, but sometimes you don't anticipate how popular something will be. Obviously something like this, like, you know, there's a lot of people that are developers. There's a lot of developers that use GitHub. They probably would love to try something like this out. Did you find like any issues like terms of like, oh, there's too many requests coming in or, oh no, this is getting too big. Like anything like that happening with the project? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I am an alumni of a program called GitHub Campus Expert. And I shared that program uh, with with my friends over there and the program manager, uh, Juan Pa. He li really liked the project and he tweeted about it. And that's how it kind of all started. Once he tweeted about it, it started getting more and more traction from the developer community. And then one fine day, GitHub also decided to tweet it from their official channel. And that's when I freaked out. I'm like, I haven't built this project to scale up. I am not sure if it's going to scale or not when it's going to break. So I was almost every 15 to 20 minutes, I was looking at my server logs. I was looking at the logs at Cloudinary to make sure that I have, you know, credits. I was looking <laughs> at Cloudfare to see, you know, if it's anything is breaking over there. So that was a kind of interesting time that I had with the project when it got really popular. And the major thing that I was worried about was the expense that I might have at the end of the month when everything cools down. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I am going to have a terrible, terribly long invoice coming in for me. <laughs> it, it's such a good question. Like, like when you're ever building any project is like, can this scale? And am I ready for it to scale, right? <laughs> it, <laughs> And we deal with it all the time. We're like somewhat like, I remember we've had people that are using Cloudinary and they get suddenly featured on Shark Tank or <laughs> other these programs, like there's these awesome startups. And then suddenly they peak and we're like, we had no idea that we would have these overages or we'd have all these situations. And of course, we take care of it. We help them out. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's unanticipatable based on what you have there because that one tweet, that one influencer that suddenly is like, this is a good idea boom, then everything catches fire. And it's just like they put gasoline all over it too. So it, I, I'm glad to see that you had the, the concepts for it. Also really glad to hear that even with a lot of influencing factors, you still didn't have to pay any money. So, oh, good for you. Yeah. And way to plan that out as much as you possible. <laughs> well, yeah, it speaks to the cloud too, where you've got all these different pieces and they're all doing their, their, their chunks in the small way that they each do. And Put it all together and it still comes out free. That's really good. <laughs> exactly. I think I was also lucky enough because I had gathered a couple of extra credits for Cloudinary by doing the courses and following all the steps that they had. And this not just helped me with getting the credit, but also helped me understand Cloudinary better because I was playing around with Cloudinary. I often use it in a couple of projects. So it also gave me a good insight into the product. Wonderful. And, and I love that you're using our courses. That makes me happy. So I, one thing I wanted to ask you, so obviously you're doing a lot of great work. This is just kind of a, a, a sample of, I think, of the things that you're doing. As we pointed out, you're contributing to lots of open source projects. You're doing a lot of great work for your employer. But it's also where I would love for people to figure out ways to be part of that. Like, how can we see all the great work that you, Herschel, are doing? Where are you really active? Where can people follow more about what you're up to? So I am really active on Twitter. And I'll be honest, I don't always talk about tech stuff on Twitter. So be aware if you're following me on Twitter. <laughs> but that's the best place to get in touch with me, see what I am doing. And I also often share all my learnings on my uh, website. So if you want to read about what I am doing, what I have learned recently, and if you want to learn that as well, you can always go to my website and that's herschel.dev. I like that you're keeping track of bandwidth saved, all of the things that could add up to, to costing you something. <laughs> Perfect. And frankly, look at this. I, your UI here, once again, it's simple, it's minimal, but it's so clean. Like, I gotta tell you, Harshal, you might 
find a way to get involved with UX and UI one day because you're doing a <laughs> job with everything you've been developing. This is as clean as I possibly can imagine for a personal blog, personal website, personal portfolio. So I'm impressed with that factor alone too. Becky, any final things that you wanted to ask Marshall before we let him go? Well, the, you know, the only thing I had asked is it would be fun for us to run it against one of our team members, run the Ooh. project against that. So if I could share my screen, we have a new team member here, Jed Brisman. She was actually on our program last year and now she works here. Yeah. So I've got Jen Brisman and we're going to wrap it for Jen and see that she has been very active. She just learned to develop during the pandemic and she's been working away here and working on new code for us as well as be presenting. But anyway, I really appreciate the fact that we can see this so clearly and I, I'm encouraging anybody who is working on GitHub to wrap it and share it. So I think it's a really neat project. I agree completely, completely. And I love to see all the great work that Jen on our team has been doing, you know, before Cloudinary, while at Cloudinary. So, and actually for Cloudinary now too. So that's awesome. So Arshul, keep up the good work and keep in touch. We can't wait to show off the latest projects you're working on, hopefully in a future program or if nothing else, we'll make sure we tweet about it because I think you're doing some pretty awesome stuff in the dev space right now. Yeah. Really nice talking to you too. Very, very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking to you all. Herschel is a wealth of information and honestly, very nice guy as well. I think this is a good conversation. Becky, when it comes to the key things that you felt were important from what we've learned from Herschel today, what stands top of mind? Well, there were so many things here. You know, I think the one thing is it's a great little gift to developers because it lets us quickly gather up all the data from GitHub about our own work and put it in a really nice little web page that we can share. So it's kind of like, Partial gift to us in a way. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. It's one area that I, I almost wonder how deep this could go. Because if I think about like very developer focused organizations, let's say like Platinary, let's say Stripe, like Twilio, and they were saying, we want to show all of the amazing work, all the pull requests, all the repositories, all the things that our developers are doing. Could we do this project and then create these beautiful reports off of it to be able to show off that work? So I think the legs that what Arshal has developed has a lot of opportunity. And I don't think it's just for personal developers. I think it could even be done at the large enterprise level based on what we're showing here, because there's a lot of cool ways to show off the data. Yeah. I mean, what if we could all put together something like that about our work for the entire year when it's time to get a raise or something like that. I think I could see a lot of extensions to this. It was also really fun to learn about low code and see how Harshal could kind of create these steps that pulled in different tools and services like Cloudinary. So essentially it turned out that the wrap is the Cloudinary image hosted on a web page. So that was really cool to see that he thought of that and laid it out so nicely. I agree. And I think that's one thing that Herschel definitely showed is that, yes, he was able to develop this, but he developed it as part of a low-code offering. So if someone wasn't necessarily a developer, they could still maintain it and still work with the project. And I think that's one area that at least I'm seeing when it comes to the buzzword that is low-code, the buzzword that is no-code, there's some misinterpretation of that because sometimes that means that low code is just meant for developers or no code is just meant for marketers. Low code is just meant for people that don't like to code. I think it's a missed concept because as we're showing, developers absolutely can use something that's low code and no code where because it has a user interface on it, it's not necessarily bad by any means. So I love the fact that we're using something that has very clear drag and droppable content. It's very easy to see the flow of it. Harsh did a very good job with this. And I think more people should be embracing low code and no code tools, just like the ones that he was able to develop. I, I know I'm noticing companies all over are creating workflow products and they're marketing them as workflow and they're basically like this. So it is definitely a thing to keep an eye on. So what about Harshan's product got very popular and got even a little scary for him. He was getting called by GitHub because so many requests were coming in. I mean, 
is this a good thing? <laughs> I, I, I think it is. I mean, back to my point, like if you're popular, you're going to be recognized by some of these larger companies and might be able to help you grow. But in the same sense, it shows that people really do want data. And sometimes it's not easy to come across it or it's not even something that comes top of mind. Like, oh yeah, I remember I did work on that in February and it consumed a lot of time because you're thinking about always what's next, what's right in front of you. And being able to combine all of that data into an easy retrospective like this, I think it's where, yeah, it makes sense why it was popular. It can make sense why people were using it and wanting it. Anything, it's only a good thing. But it's also where it can be a double-edged sword because it's where if you create this just as a personal project for yourself and there was no growth plan, obviously attached to that, you just wanted a fun way to visualize data, then yeah, it could come off a little bit crazy. You're like, oh, where is this coming from? I never expected everybody to want this. But I think Partial definitely found a little bit of a disruptor here to get yeah. people to think about things in a different way. Yeah, well, and developers are now more into sharing on social media. I mean, Twitter is a huge place to find out things about what's going on in the world of development. So this is one thing that you can share about yourself in an easy way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we see like at the end of the year, when Spotify comes out with their wraps, you see tons of people putting on their Instagrams and Twitter and saying like, these are all the songs I listened to, or this was the artist I listened to the most. Wouldn't that be great if we also saw this happening with Herschel's project saying like, look at all the cool repos that I built over the year. Like that, that, that would be pretty slick. And well, of course, we got to talk to the guy that made it all. So that would be a really cool thing. And, and you know, hiring managers look at that little chart that he's got. And if you apply for a job, you can run this any time of the year and share it. So it's a neat little tool. And speaking of hiring managers, one thing that's actually happened in the world of Herschel, which I love, is while... N8N, great company. And obviously we showed a lot of it in this episode. Harshal actually went on to go work for one of Cloudinary's best technology partners, Contentful. And they're a fantastic company when it comes to the content management system side of things, especially for headless CMSs. So it's to say, keep following what Harshal is doing because he's definitely making some waves in the space. And of course, also can't say that the work that we're doing is to plug a certain person or a certain program, but we also really enjoy the work that they're doing at Contentful across the board. So always a company to look at if this is something that you've never heard about before today. So excellent work, Archville. Congratulations to you. Congratulations. Excellent. So now that we've given the world our key takeaways and things that we took away from this episode, Becky, we also, of course, want people to know that if you are happy with this episode, you had a good experience, then like and subscribe at all the places where we typically host all these Dev Jams podcasts. That includes our Cloudinary Academy, but also on large platforms like Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other places. So we hope that you had a great time. On behalf of everybody involved with this episode, as well as all of Cloudinary, Thank you for listening to this episode of Dev Jams, and we hope to see you at the next one. Take care.